Hi, nerds. I'm Michael Moore, hosting this podcast for Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I'm here with Michael Hannah Boutros Myring. Did I get that right, sir? That's awesome. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> Director of Information Systems and Technologies for Z-Line Kitchen and Bath. Um, uh, great to have you on. It's uh, time we're going to throw you straight into the icebreaker segment that we have, which is Random Access Memories. Uh, I'll ask a question. You get to respond with the answer that comes to your head first. Have fun with it. The first one is, what's the oddest place you've ever seen a computer located? An honest place. Oh, oddest, oddest, strangest. How about that? Oddest, sorry. Yeah. The oddest place I've seen a computer place. Um, I'm going to say growing up in the kitchen. <laughs> just in the just in the kitchen. Hopefully it wasn't in the sink, right? No, it, no, it was on, we had Thank a little drying rack. In the kitchen. Yeah, we uh, had growing up in the, in the kitchen, we didn't have a computer table and computers were such a new thing in Egypt. Uh, we had the computer in the kitchen. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that is, uh, that is so interesting. Well, Hey, uh, it's convenient. You know, you, you can, uh, slice bread and, and, uh, type on the computer at the same time. You're good to go. I mean, honestly, that was, that was my, uh, vehicle to play Monopoly on the computer <laughs> in the kitchen. So that was all right. And I had, and I had a quick re like a quick reach of snacks. So yeah, see, that's the way to go. I think, I think you're onto something there. I think there should be a, uh, you know, it's straight up in the kitchen. You got recipes. If you like to cook, you can put the recipes right there. You get everything all done. I, I think that that might be a good spot for it to be located. Um, here's the next one. Uh, what, according to you, is the best keyboard shortcut? On a Windows machine, Alt F4. Alt F4? Yep. And then for a Mac is the Command Q. And... Uh, Tell me what the um, uh, what the Mac that uh, um, one is. I'm still not 100 percent on Macs here. What what's the what's that? One? Uh, for me, depending on the application I have, I have shortcuts saved. Uh, Command Q for me is turning it on silent. That was, <laughs> I don't get the, that's literally the command I just pushed down on my keyboard joining this podcast. So there you go. Don't bother me. We're good. And the yeah. uh, and the Alt F four is the uh, closing out of all uh, of the windows. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's stuck. Alt F four. Move on. Let's go. I like it. Uh, here's your last one. Uh, what technology do you wish existed but doesn't? Oh, this is a good one. Um, let's. You know, I just bought. An 8K television. I wish there was streaming or the capability to stream 8K content because I have the CD. I'm like, great, this is super sampling everything I'm watching. I it's, wish technology is there is there for me to yeah, actually. It's not, it's not caught up yet. They're, they can make all. You know, I feel like sometimes they're just gonna make these TVs that say that do like holograms, and uh, and then nobody's gonna provide holograms except for like one channel, and it'll just be like birds flying. So, you know, a, a fish tank with just, you know, uh, uh, all these fish just swimming out of it. 
the only thing I've been able to enjoy is literally YouTube videos of like nature, <laughs> like B-roll. And I was like, great, here's 8K. Let's just put that. That way I could validate my purchase to my wife. Yeah. Other than that, nope. If the YouTube video was uploaded in that 8K. So, <laughs> but that was a good one. So uh, I'm so happy to have you on the program They We have, uh, um, has a lot of stuff in there. I was, uh, you know, uh, I did my uh, natural LinkedIn stalking on you uh, and, and found out, you know, that not only, uh, you know, do you work at, at Z-Line, uh, but the prior history, there was a there was a CFO, there was a CEO, uh, digital, uh, as a, another analyst. I mean, you're all over the board. Uh, uh, give me a synopsis of, of yeah. you know, where you've been in terms of uh, uh, positions, because it, this will have a bearing on our conversation because this is pretty interesting. Yeah, so my educational background is actually in biochemistry. Um, wow. And then I have a marketing degree at, from the University of Nevada. And then I didn't finish my MBA from the University of Nevada. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, I, I don't know. If, and this is in generalization. A lot of Middle Eastern parents hope for two things. One is either you're a lawyer or a doctor. Um, I had to, I went, was going the medical route. And then I realized I hate that. And I just went back to school and I went to, into marketing. And then I loved, I mean, one thing about medicine I liked is the marketing of me, like medication. And then from there, I just, while I was in college again, I was just redo, re, doing a redo. I got a retail position at Apple and got, I fell in love with technology. Um, so that's where that kind of like re-sparked my interest in technology. And then from there, I love, I'm a creative. I, by nature, I'm a creative. I love drawing. I love photography. Um, and then one thing led to another. I locally in Reno, Nevada, I started a multimedia company where I focused on photography and video and working with Apple at a, like an enterprise salute, like, finding all these enterprise solutions, I found a lot of small businesses don't have the resources where they could be at the plate with these big guys. So I really focused on providing resources like websites, e-com, um, content creation that was really going to go to bat against the big folks. So I really focused on multimedia and really helping small businesses have a shot. Before you jump on to the next topic there, if I could just jump in real quick, this is really interesting because there's a kind of a sense sometimes that, um, you know, uh, computer folks are either really good at math or super logical and analytical and, you know, because that's kind of where you sometimes need to be. But, you know, that's not the case for everybody. You know, and like you mentioned, you're you're a creative. Uh, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm a you know I'm a computer guy, and yet I like to write. You know, it is a it is not a uh, um, it is not something where people have to be specifically and like certain things to do it. And I got to give you props for recognizing as you were as you were kind of going up through your um, uh, career there uh, that you didn't 
feel like you were in the right spot and in the healthcare and decided to make a pivot. Um, and I did something very similar in mine and also pivoted. It was in the same, you know, spot, but, but it, it is a, it's a smart move because you do not want to be in a position that you don't enjoy. I absolutely love and enjoy the job I work in and, uh, and the field I work in. Uh, and, um, I get the sense that you do too on this, right? Yeah. Um, the one thing, I guess, like the note to take away from here is like, as long as you're curious enough and you're willing to find the answer, I think that's actually the core behavior that I look for for anyone I want to bring into my team. Um, I don't expect, I mean, this is goes into multiple fields. As long as you are willing to find the answer and admit that you don't know it, but you're willing to find the answer, I look for that behavior more than the technical training that you might already have. I mean, let's face it, technology is what it is today is not going to be what it is, let's say, next week. You know, there might be some groundbreaking stuff that is completely new and non not relevant to any information that you've already acquired through your experience. So like... You're right. Curiosity and perseverance are such a big part of IT, right? Yeah. So it's like... Yeah. And that's how it really sparked. Like it's from being a creative to having the technical acumen to solve everyday problems, set up the proper systems to run a multi-billion dollar business. Um, it's it's just that mindset of like not being defeated, not knowing, but excited to find out. That makes complete sense to me. And, 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 and that's driving. That's, that's what drives all the innovation. That's what drives, uh, um, you know, all the different, um, advances in, in technology. And that's pretty amazing. And it's, it's really cool to see that on there and having that different experience and, and having that spot only can make you better at what you do. Uh, you know, having that experience at CFO, having the experience at CEO, understanding business processes and how they fold together. And then being able to apply that in your current position uh, is a great, uh, um, a great move. So, um, I mean, I saw a bunch of things on our stuff. Part of that being one of them was digital transformation, right? Which it, it's amazing that this day and age that this is still a term, right? But it is. And, uh, you know, uh, you still see people, uh, you know, using paper. Like, you know, I went to the doctors the other day. And, you know, had to fill out a paper form, you know, and submit. I'm like, why are we still doing this? But, you know, it, 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 it's still common practice and people are still using fax machines. And, you know, and so we haven't really completed that digital transformation yet. And I feel like it's going to be a while still until, until that happens. Um, what's your thoughts on this? Because I like digital transformation was kind of big on your, uh, uh, on your spot. What's your thoughts on digital transformation? Buy-in. It's just navigating change has been a learning opportunity and it will continue to be depending on how large the organization, who's your audience and how do you adopt change? And like, how do you adopt and encourage your first adopters be your first leaders on navigating change in your organization. Well, let's uh, talk about navigating change because if you, I, the viewers can't see, but in the back, you can see uh, what's behind me, right? Uh, and it says 
Do not be afraid of change. Uh, be afraid of not changing, right? But, you know, let's take that last statement there. Be afraid of not changing. Why should we be afraid of not changing? Why be afraid of not changing? So it's, I, I, there's a statement that I will continue to bring up from my early days in my career is the one, I guess, attribute that for growth is going to always, you'll always find that outside of your comfort zone. That's true. That's true. So if you're comfortable and you just stay in your, you know, what you know, to you know, like you're a routine person, you stay within your comfort zone, you're not really allowing yourself to challenge what you do every day. And, and that kind of co-plays co with your growth. Because if you're doing the same thing, you don't, there's no way there's going to be any change that will be applied to whatever you're trying to move forward to. So it's, and, you're, and it's just, it, it's just the nature. Like if you want some different result, you have to do something different and that requires change. I agree. And that's, how, and that's how you like kind of face that fear. I agree with you. And I think you, you described that really well. And, and so well, in fact, because I will tell uh, um, people that work with me all the time that, you know, you, if you're comfortable, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to learn to live in the uncomfortable. And I think you said that so well, because uh, that's where that's where change happens. That's where growth. And uh, it's, it's funny, I see some people sometimes shut down a bit when they're in that uh, uh, uncomfortable mode. And I have to remind them, you're doing good, right? It's just that you haven't been here before, you know? And, uh, and I also kind of, you know, you, you see people and, 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 and they'll talk about their growth and they'll, and they'll always compare themselves to other people. And I said, don't, don't compare yourself to other people. You're comparing yourself to how you were yesterday and whether or not you're moving uh, in the right direction. And I always say, if you're, if you feel right, that uncomfortableness, it's because you're pushing that bar a little higher and moving forward and you're learning and you're, and you're, and, and, that learning, that growing is seeing more and more things that are wrong and that need to be fixed and modified. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. So I love that you, you, you did a great, great job explaining that. I think that that's a, a, a valid statement. And so when it comes to a digital transformation, you mentioned buy-in, change being a part of that, right? Um, it's a tough one because uh, um, not all organizations uh, uh, A, like change, or B, have a tolerance for it. Everyone's tolerance for change is going to be different, right? So what are the, um, you know, what are the, you know, things you can share with the viewer, sorry, the, the listeners on here um, that may help them, whether they are business individuals, because we have some people that uh, are uh, um, uh, business leaders that listen, and then, and or if they're, they're tech. What is what are the um, things you can give them to help them kind of get that buy-in and enact change? Honestly, this is like it's more on people skills, and this is where I really like to encourage other business owners and other work environments is really 
soliciting a conversation. Um, this is where I found success. Um, you could either, I mean, for someone like me, I could easily be the villain in the organization, pushing all these policies, just driving this change without starting with the why. I honestly, my first positioning and my first part of joining Z-Line, I'll take that as an example of where that started. The organization when I joined, we were at 50-some hires. I was like the 53rd, 55th hire for the organization. We are at 200 plus. That's a great feeling, isn't it? And, you know, and driving change with a small organization, people might think like, oh, there's less people you have to convince. Actually, the what's hard about that being new and trying to drive adoption and driving change is like, hey, here's some things that these bigger organization I came from was were doing is really positioning yourself as an ally. And just, and I literally my statement to the organization was like, hey, my job really is not technical. My job is really my primary focus is make your job easy. And I my, I mean, if I accomplish anything is your day-to-day tasks are a lot easier because there's a system in place that allows your job to be more efficient, leaving you to do more things that you want to be doing uh, for the organization. And instead of the busy work, and God, I mean, I could, I have a laundry list of stuff that was just like, wow, I cannot believe this is happening here. Um, but honestly, when you have that position stated out for the organization to hear you and like, you kind of not like accumulate allies to understand why you're doing things. Honestly, it, it becomes easier. Um, and now as the organization is bigger, I facilitate a conversation about change. I really, I shoot out surveys saying, hey, is this a current pain point in your everyday process? How often does this system fail you? And honestly, it when I introduce a change systematically, it's been a conversation so it doesn't blindside anybody and I've already, I, I mean, and this is kind of a sales tactic. It's like creating a pain point and like, oh, ta-da, I have like a magical solution for you. But honestly, it's just like having that conversation with everyone in an organization and really giving someone a voice is really empowering for some people, regardless of the position. If you're in a warehouse, if you're in marketing, if you're in sales, and like having them feel that their voice is being heard addressing a company-wide change really advocates for a change to happen or even be needed. So once that's done, I really say, hey, I found a solution that addresses a lot of our pain points that we shot the survey for. Let me share this survey results with you. A lot of you said X, Y, and Z. Well, I found a solution that will do X, Y, and Z. And how does that sound? And I share my timelines regarding these systems being implemented. And honestly, like, and then I kind of, in each department, I reach out saying, hey, can you be my my first follower? You'll be the leader advocating for this change. And I just have, and I lean on them to lead that. They're modeling behavior and encouraging a new system being implemented. And then naturally, you know, you don't want to be the odd one out. Like you, if you have your leader in your own department, like loving this change, and you have your colleagues loving this change, the natural thing is like, wow, maybe they have something going on there and that will drive the adoption. You always have that one person's like, no, no, I don't like change. No, no, I like the way we do things. And this is gold. 
this is this is great this is great information and 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 just to uh you know take what you said here the i'm going to break it down a few spots that were just really important one Let's start with the surveys, right? What a great idea to take the temperature of people beforehand so you can address those uh, address those items and make sure they're incorporated into the plan when you go to release. So A, great job there. Uh, the next piece was... <coughs> um, uh, uh, next big piece of the puzzle is uh, getting those champions, right? Getting all of those uh, folks that are going to champion your solution by bringing them on board, getting their, their buy-in, of those folks, you know that they're the, you know, um, they're the, so so to speak, the uh, uh, people that the other people look to for advice. So getting on, them on board is is huge. Uh, this, is, this is all really good advice and, and how to actually do this. And it just goes to show you that, you know, um, you know, IT folks are really good at making changes, right? But um, when, uh, you know, when we, uh, we sometimes you know, if, if not done correctly, miss training, miss uh, um, uh, all the opportunities. I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody in healthcare where they've put in a new uh, solution in healthcare, right? And then you go talk to like any of the people that are using the solution and they're like, yeah, it's, that doesn't work, right? It doesn't work at all. I mean, it, it doesn't, uh, um, you know, do what we need to do. Uh, if I have to do this for a patient, I, I can't do that. So I just end up entering in stuff that's wrong. And you're like, but this is a like this is a hospital, right? <laughs> and and I'm like, you know, how many times you've been a patient in a hospital and just seen somebody just do things completely the wrong way just to make the system work and then get, and then get going, right? And you can tell that nobody followed that advice that you just gave to to be able to implement that solution. That's it's great advice. Yeah, I mean, communication is a huge thing. I mean, I. Going off hospitals, my wife actually is a director of marketing at hospitals at a hospital here locally. Wow. And the amount of, and you know, I sometimes I work from home and then sometimes she's working at home at the same time. And I'm hearing her, and maybe my wife is like, hey, you should probably not talk about this publicly. But the amount of communication that she needs to do internally to talk about a new system changes and I really took note of that. I mean, just noticing like how much communication needs to happen internally when something IT tells marketing about. Mm-hmm. Like communication is key. If like that is not communicated instead of like, hey, here's an initiative, here you go, here's how to follow it, versus really planning out a communication plan about this change, it's it's huge. It could make or break a su- the success of a project. It I mean communi- communication makes or breaks a ton of items and uh you know and especially if you're a um if you're a uh aspiring tech looking to get into a position to be an it director or uh, or a cio uh you know or even a business leader and trying to make sure that you can enact the strategic changes that you need either for digital transformation or different projects you got on that are going to be strategic that you need you are going to need to know communication because communication is the key to accurately getting your vision out of your head and into other people's and allowing them to spread that vision everywhere. That is a, that's just a fantastic way to look at it. And and you've brought up a lot of great points on this. Let's talk about um, real quick. Let's talk about projects, right? Because you've been involved in a lot of them. And when I was looking at some of the things you did, 
uh, you were, um, you know, it, it seems to me like projects have been pretty big on your career. Uh, yeah. Was that fair to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I swim in and out of different departments looking at what projects are, are going to be. I mean, the, the extent of like, and you think like, oh, a kitchen appliance manufacturer, how much technology is really involved with that? I mean, literally everything, anywhere from an ERP to manage how we bring in items into our four walls, how items get drop shipped directly to the customer's like address to the EDI and API communication that happened between our big retail partners to our customer journey and what system is involved with like carrying out that like journey using a CMS uh, to our websites and making managing our e-com sites to infrastructure like network and I mean, the amount of different, I mean, again, an organization that had 50 people, you wouldn't think like, oh, I need to think about what our web hosting looks like or how secure our, our cybersecurity would be for our emails and like stopping phishing attacks and stopping like any vulnerability was our information systems. And it's the amount of projects is like, involved with that really involved involved at least for my career here at zline just in this short almost three years really being involved with every department's like day to day um so i mean like like project management really comes with having the right expectations for everyone that is involved and really having key stakeholders for parts of the process and like understanding what are the bottlenecks understanding what communication needs to look like, what are deadlines, and like really having measurable goals throughout the project. And if there are setbacks, what are and when and how is that communicated and why? Um, because quite often there's a lot of, I mean, I deal with a lot of work that needs to be completed outside with people outside of my organization. How do I hold them accountable and how do I manage their work and their succession and have, having them feel also part of the team, even though they're not Z-Line employees. Um, so it's, it's a lot of navigation, I would say. I, I definitely. And I, I agree with you. And, and so let's, let's take a, a concept that, you know, um, I always found was interesting, which is when is a project completed? Right. Because a lot of people would say, well, when the work's done, right. Um, but I found that that's not necessarily true sometimes. Um, what is, when do you call a project complete in your mind? So, I mean, I live off Asana. That's been the tool. And, you know, I, I used to be a big, big Gantt chart type of guy. Um, mm -hmm. But Gantt charts are intimidating for people that don't look at projects all the time. So I kind of had to drive adoption with myself. I'm like, hey, you got to adopt a tool that is useful for people outside of your preferences. And I found success in a, a tool called Asana. Um, so with that, I every project has a three months after a go live date for monitoring adoption, monitoring any troubleshooting. Um, I have. So I was in charge of training for quite a bit at Apple. And what I've found out is the training piece is that most people absorb is in practice. So
So most of the time when we launch a new system, I have a sandbox environment just in case people are hesitant to breaking stuff. So I tell them like, hey, look, I'm going to give you a sandbox. I'm going to give you this play area and you could play pretend. Go do whatever you want. You won't break anything, but I want you to get familiar with the interface. And quite often, just telling them like, hey, nothing is going to go wrong and giving them the courage to explore really makes a whole difference. Because most of the time people, when there's a new system or a new change happening, there is fear. There's a lot of fear-based logic that happens you know, innately. It's like, oh, if I click the wrong button, I might break something or I might send the wrong whatever. Or you know, there's all, they think of the consequences if they do something wrong. Uh, you know that, yeah. You know, I, I, I've, I think I've been doing this for a bit, and, and I, I don't think we've ever touched on this, but this is such a good point. Where, uh, and another aspect of change in projects is, and as you mentioned, people management and calming folks down and, and saying, "Hey, listen, we're implementing something that will affect the way you do your work. Right? It is going to have a profound effect on uh, once we implement it." on uh, whatever happens down the line. Um, and for people that have a low tolerance to change or are like, I was really good at what I was doing in this one spot. Now the change might flip the tables and maybe someone will be better than me or maybe I won't be as good as I, I need to do and stuff. These are all of these, you know, um, uh, partial of insecurities and stuff and, and the concern about what the very real concern about keeping and maintaining your job uh, you know, while these changes are happening, have, has to be nerve wracking on uh, folks that are not used to changing platforms like IT folks are. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, people could throw a new platform at us and we would be like, all right, give me a little bit to figure it out. But otherwise, let's, let's just do it. But to end users that do not do this, to business leaders that, uh, um, that aren't, you know, uh, used to switching platforms, this is a huge deal. And it only it it especially if you put something in like an ERP that touches so many different pieces of it, all right. It's a it's quite scary for um uh, uh, you know for end users to to have this change. Uh, but I like your approach because you are like, hey, why don't you play around a bit and get all of that unknown that uncertainty out of your way, and then come back to me and tell me what you didn't like. Tell me what we need to modify, what we need to change, and what things need to be addressed prior to it going live so that we don't have these problems. That sounds like that would really cut down a lot on uh, on a lot of that uh, um, uh, you know uncertainty and uh, and also increase your buy-in. You know, you know this is a lot of this is going to resonate with a lot of people that have IT help desk work experience. You're most of the time playing therapist. And, and this is going to sound really like, honestly, sometimes you don't have the solution for the person calling in. But as long as you're addressing how they're feeling and just giving them the assurance like, hey, you know, it, everything is going to be okay. We'll figure it out. And just addressing that emotion and like how they're feeling tends to, and you might not give them a solution today, tomorrow, or next week. But as long as you address like, hey, I understand this is frustrating. I am acknowledging how frustrating this is. I've been in your shoes. But don't worry, we'll figure it out. And we'll get you into a spot where you can do whatever you need to be doing. I guarantee you, 
nine out of 10 times, that call will end well. And, you know, that's was Apple's mojo. You know, and I don't know if you've ever, I, I don't know if you've been into an Apple store. The, I remember when I first got onboarded and I was working at a retail job, you know, and I was like, man, I don't have any technology experience. When they bring you to the team, they don't give you any technical training. Their secret sauce was how to talk to people and how to address a problem and really looking at the root of the problem. The problem isn't a broken screen on the phone. And the problem really is a fear of them losing something precious or a photo that's in their phone. And like really addressing that fear and really giving them the assurance like, hey, don't worry, here's some, we'll figure it out. You know, there is services that you might've turned on like a cloud backup or a, there's a, if I could get into your machine, if you have your laptop with you, I could back up your machine and like, or your, your phone and we could restore that data. Addressing that fear before actually addressing the problem front facing has saved me so many conversations that could have gone really bad. And I really take that approach with everything. If it, I mean, obviously, I'm not, I'm not fixing phones anymore, but I'm fixing systematic issues throughout an organization, you know, that's doing millions of dollars of business a day. And when I one of these problems faced me, I'm like, what is actually the problem? And really addressing the person's presentation of the problem and why he's he or she is feeling that way. That typically results in like, okay, they're calm, they're collected. Now we could talk about next steps and just really laying that out for them. That is I I love the way you put it. And it is so, so true. Uh, you know, um, I, I have a lot of respect for help desk. I started in the help desk back in the day. Um, and uh, it's actually where I got most of my uh, uh, relevant experience for the rest of the things that I've been doing in, uh, in the IT world. Um, I love the idea. And this is such a great way of doing this, of dispelling the fear prior to uh, working the issue. What a, what a fantastic way. And it's true. It is 100% true. And, uh, you know, you get somebody on the phone, especially if they think that they lost the data. And the first thing you should do is say, hold on. We don't know if that's the case. I have a couple different ways that we can try and find this. Uh, so don't panic just yet. Let's work on, let's work through these things and, and figure that out. And yeah, that is, that's so huge. It's such a big deal to uh, um, uh, allow that to happen. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, you know, I think what you're touching on in a lot of these things is a, uh, as you manage a, a people management uh, to uh, allow, like you, men you mentioned earlier about your service leadership, meaning it, you uh, are there to, uh, you know, basically provide a service to allow the people that work in your group to Really do what they need to do more efficiently, more timely, uh, uh, without barriers, um, without uh, people problems. You know, uh, yeah. In some cases, uh, uh, being a, a director of information systems is also being a therapist. <laughs> you know, and working people through uh, through things, and uh, and uh, and then being a uh, um, you know uh, someone that corrals people and says, "Hey, this is what we're going to do. Let's let's all collectively do it." So you're a coach. 
you're a, I mean, I, we could go through all the different pieces of being, a, um, you know, uh, being a leader in information technology. Uh, but you're right. And you've uh, jumped on a few of them, which is it's it's not necessarily just computers. And a lot of people, uh, you know, we talk a lot of the things, we use a lot of acronyms. I could have used an acronym for your name, probably. Right. Earlier. <laughs> 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 it would be a good one. I mean, you it would be like it would be like uh, MHBM, right? Like you could really, uh, uh, you know, there's a future tech company in that name, by the way. I think you ought to race out to get a domain name quickly before someone snags it, right? So <laughs> let's um, let's talk about uh, um, uh, uh, IT Crystal Ball. Uh, this is a uh, always a fun one because uh, I love to see how people. Uh, react, you know, about what the future of IT is going to be, right? Um, but I got to put some ground rules down because too many people are saying AI, and that's not a future anymore. AI is here. And uh, I mean, we could talk about the involvement of and where it will lead, but man, AI is not uh, um, future anymore. AI is present and it is a, uh, uh, it is here and it is making a splash. So um, I'm going to challenge you on this one. And I'm going to give you, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, take AI out of the mix for a minute, right? Where do you see IT, uh, you know, five years from now? Where I mean, and you don't have to go crazy and, and name a whole bunch of things. You can just focus on on one if you got it. But where do you see, and uh, in, in, in the most relevant fashion, to give to business leaders and to uh, uh, IT tech folks, right? What should we be doing and positioning ourselves to be ready for five years from now? Universal API. Okay. That's, see, this is a new one. I haven't got this yet. Explain. All right. So, I, I mean, my day-to-day is literally within one system to another to another. And the biggest pain in, in existence for me is having one system communicate to another system and developing a unique API endpoint for each individual system that literally will say the same thing, but because of the business process, I need to have four systems communicate across each system one at a time until I get to the desired result. I strongly think that there will be a universal API language or keys for each system. So like name, if like let's say customer's name will be universally recognized as this API endpoint. So that way when I integrate from one system to another, from CMS to an ERP to a shipping software to what an MDM, let's say you're involving your own computer. It's all universal. That same API that you've used is going to be going from one system to another without you redoing the work that you already just did because of one system already required you to do. I, man, if that is the future, then sign me up. I think that that's a, that's fantastic. What a great way to, because, and, and I, and I think that you're onto something because there are still so many legacy applications that are out there. There are so many people on applications that just say should not be. You go to the website and the website looks like it was built in GeoCities, right? 
And it's, you know, it's got weird animation, a guy waving at you like, buy our software, right? And and so, you, and, and you're like, uh, you know, you're like, I just stepped back to like 1995, uh, you know, and looking at this application. And uh, people, I think I'm joking, but this is actually truthful. Like, I sometimes I go to websites of people that are actually running applications and I, and I just, I'm, I'm just, oh, uh, uh, what? And they're still using this GUI that was back in the day that like, you know, reminds me of using uh, AOL. Uh, it is a it is a remarkable uh, um, that people are still using these applications. It would be great if we did have a universal API to be able to easily migrate one make uh, migrate data over, move uh, data back and forth from uh, different applications. Uh, also, for the um, amount of mergers and acquisitions that happen. Uh, in, in the world right now, I mean, that would be, uh, uh, you know, gold to be able to, you know, uh, um, just plug, plug them in and yep. uh, adjust some of the uh, API settings so that they, uh, they can talk to each other and you can have, uh, you know, different billing systems talking to each other and, and moving the data around. And uh, um, that to me would be, uh, um, would be, would be huge. Can, can it? Ha- it's going to be a monumental feat. <laughs> it's going to yeah, be, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, it might even have to have NIST jump in and and say, "Hey, hold on a second, I got a plan." Uh, but yeah, it, you know, that's a good one, and that's I have not had that suggestion on the program uh, as far I, as I can tell. The reason I say that is because I mean, I'm a, by all means, I am nerdy and a geek, and there's a distinction between the two. What I mean by that is I, my wife hates me. I mean, my office is literally smart, light, smart, everything in my office. Me too. The <laughs> only reason is the reason I have so many lights in my office is because my wife has banned any more lights in the house. <laughs> I've, so, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm really funny about it. I love home. I love Apple. I love HomeKit. I hate that every smart appliance or smart whatever uses their own ecosystem. So I did the next best thing. I was like, look, if there's an app, there's some sort of API endpoint that I need to translate. So I kept buying these cheap smart lights from Amazon and looked up their app. And I just said, hey, you know what? There's a get request here and a post request. All I need to do is build a server that will translate this to HomeKit's get and post requests. So I, you know what, instead of spending like a hundred bucks for a light bulb, I was like, oh, look at this $10 cheap like light bulb that I could do that do the same thing. Now I could do that with HomeKit. And literally right after I got that done, then I've had this for years. I was like, that was like my back pocket, like random, like fun thing that I shared with all my friends. Now that HomeKit is now having a universal language called Matter. So wow. now all these smart appliances said, you know what? There has to be some sort of universal language, regardless of whatever ecosystem. We all need to play nice. Yep. So now all these smart appliances, and the reason I say that is because we are introducing a smart appliance through Zline. And I was thinking about that way ahead before they even announced it. So I was already like looking at what, what does the next universal language need to look like? And now there's a new standard called Matter that Apple now is driving. And now you see all these other appliances saying, hey, we need to get Matter certified 
for all our systems to talk, no matter whoever the end user might be. If they're on Google, they're using Alexa, whatever the case may be, all these smart appliances could be transferable from one ecosystem to another. So if that's something that already exists, why can't APIs be the same way? I, I feel like uh, now I have a vision in my head that you came up with this idea. Um, and usually when you know it, it's visually representative of an idea, it's a light bulb on top of somebody's head. But you had probably tons of them and they were multicolored dancing around up top of your head when you had this idea, right? That's I think I think that's what you did. Um, wow. I, you know what, uh, Michael, this was a, um, this was such a great, uh, program and thank you for having me on for the folks out there. This is, um, I'm Michael Moore. Uh, uh, this has been a podcast with, uh, dissecting popular IT nerds, uh, here with Michael Hannah Boutros Myring, or as he's going to be known from now on, MHBM. All right. Yeah. <laughs> don't snag the, the, don't snag the thing from him. I'm going to buy that domain right now. <laughs> Director of Information Systems and Technology for Z-Line Kitchen and Bath. Michael, thank you so much for having me on and uh, feel free to come back again. Awesome. Thank you.